From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is artist Trevor Henderson. He does comic books comic book and book cover illustrations, concept work and character design. He's an amazing artist, and he's also the creator of the character Siren Head, which you've probably seen on the internet. Hi, Trevor. Welcome to the show. We're so excited you're here. Hey, thank you very much for asking me to come on and uh, talk about stuff. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we, we're yes. both really big fans of your art. But before we do get into that, uh, we always like to take it back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Uh, so this is, I'm going to talk about this more a little bit later because it ties into the movie I've brought in. But okay. everything about horror that I've come to love and know is brought to me by my dad. Uh, my dad introduced me to horror at a very, very young age. Um, some would say a problematic age for a parent to introduce <laughs> a child to. Um, Wait, what age that? What age though? Oh, I mean like in nine or 10. Maybe maybe even oh. a little bit earlier, yeah. Uh, for some really I was, heavy I was stuff. Four. Just kidding. oh, really? <laughs> you could be. You could be. I'm sure there are people that early, but um, 
he uh, he'd always come home. He used to drive trucks really till really late in the morning, delivering oh. groceries to uh, warehouses. And he'd come home, and then he'd wake me up on school nights, and then we'd sneak downstairs, and I'd watch like the you know gory eighties horror movies, like Turn Living Dead, uh, uh, Army of Darkness, which was a little bit lighter fare. Just everything like Fulci, uh, Italian horror films, just like real gut muncher, wow. like gore films. Wow. And then if my mom woke up, I'd hide behind the couch until she left watching. <laughs> um, so he's the the root of everything, every creative endeavor, and my entire career and all my interests basically uh, was was oh. rooted in, in that practice of, of showing me hyper violent eighties horror films when I was really young. Wow, sweet, I, yeah. I, I love that. I love that, that your dad was introducing you to a lot of different kinds of horror because rude. Sorry, there's a car driving by. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Rude. Uh, it was a loud one. Uh, you know, the funny thing is with these mics, I can never tell if you guys hear it or not, but it's like, I just hear it. And I just, it, mm. anyway. So what I, what I love about that is that like my, my dad was, was the person who introduced me to horror, but a lot of it had to do with the sort of universal horror in like the 1930s and the forties oh, and yeah. the fifties. So like finding the kind of, as you call the gut munchers or like the, the <laughs> stuff that's a little bit above and beyond that yeah. kind of experience was, was always left to me. So I think that's amazing. I, yeah salute to absolutely. your dad <laughs> oh for sure yeah i mean I, there was definitely the, the universal monsters i remember specifically abbott and Costello frankenstein was <gasps> i love that movie oh it's so good and it's so funny and it's so you funny just, you get the best of all worlds you get like all the good monster stuff and you get the really the actually really good comedy as well um so there was that as well but yeah he really brought me into the world of the video nasty as well uh wow oh hell yeah yeah so I was just happy to, and I think it almost became like a weird competition eventually where I would be unfazed by something and then he'd be like, well, check out this one. And then I'd be unfazed by that. So the, the tone kept ramping up, maybe, um, maybe subconsciously. Uh, he is, uh, yeah, he is the one. That's amazing. And so what were a few of the you of your horror favorites when you were growing up? So when I was growing up, when I was fully uh, embroiled, like it used to be like, you know, whatever my dad happened to be watching. He would show me it. So I have lots of bits and pieces of that of those when I was really young. But when I was, you know, in my um, early teens, it would be it'd be a, a weekend excursion. Every weekend, me and my dad would go out to the mall to I don't know if you have it in the States, but there's a used to be a chain called HMV, uh, which was music and videos and all that stuff. And um, mm. this company called Anchor Bay was mm -hmm. in the midst mm -hmm. at that time. Uh huh. You know what I'm going to say of um, releasing these beautiful clamshell VHS tapes and these big, like, oh, bul yeah. bulky boxes. And we just start, we would collect them all, pretty much all of them. And we'd get a new one every week and then um, watch that together. And this was usually supplemented by a video rental store nearby that had a $5, five movies, five days policy, which Hell is just yeah. gorgeous. That was like every weekend through my teens. It was very popular. But I watched every <laughs> every possible horror movie. But really, those those Anchor Bay clamshells were the um, were the thing. And that company, sorry, Anchor Bay, was making a point at the time of really releasing some of the seventies um, uh, and eighties Italian horror films like Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci mm -hmm. that hadn't got quite a huge widespread appeal. So on top of what I was watching at the video store, it was kind of those prestige titles of seeing like Deep Red for the first time, Zombie, Phenomena. Tenebrae, all, all that stuff that really like resounded with me. Phenomena. Oh, yes. My oh, favorite. Best ending ever. The monkey? 
Oh, that <laughs> oh my god, so good! Uh, that monkey is everything to me. I love her so much. Inga, Inga, right? Is yes, Inga? you're right. Yeah, yeah. Oh my um, god, she's every the switchblade wielding chimpanzee. I want a tattoo of her on my body somewhere. Oh my she god, that'd be so good. The best. <laughs> I love that. That is Dario Gento's favorite of his own films. He's like, that's where I nailed it. Is the one with the monkey with the razor blade? Yes. I mean that that I ending mean, is just. Oh yeah, you can't get any better. Like it's just. <laughs> From the moment she's in the house until the ending, it's just one what the fuckery into mm-hmm. another where it's like you, you, it has to have some like resolution and it just keeps going. Yeah. And you're like, how far is he going to take this? Oh, now the monkey <laughs> is, is slashing her face. Okay. The monkey is introduced earlier. It is Chekhov's monkey and it yep. does pay off really Chekhov. well. Um, Chekhov's love- monkey who finds the razor, a knife yeah. in the trash. They telegraph it all from like the first 15 minutes I, in. So it's not even that so insane. Good. And I, I really love movies that are like, they can throw together stuff that's really wild. Like she talks to bugs and there's a serial killer. <laughs> and also Donald Pleasance is there and the monkey has a razor blade. But because he's executed in a specific way, like, I mean, it's still ridiculous. I'm not going to say it's not ridiculous, but it like it's cohesive, I guess, when yeah. easily it could not be cohesive. It could just be a bunch of wild stuff thrown together. I love Argento. And this is like, yeah, we have been going. I have been going through a giallo journey for the past couple of months. But nice. then Terry has been kind of guiding me through. So I've been watching a lot of Argento and I love him so much. <laughs> He's so yeah. good. I've wanted to do the same thing. I haven't taken the plunge yet because Shudder has been just pumping the giallo onto their their page. Oh, they- it's so good it's been that's yeah. been really amazing we watched a lot of the ones that they have available streaming yeah. i really want to see the red queen kills seven times <laughs> it's so good it's that one is like, so good i've heard it's one of the best like jello ever total um but i haven't i haven't seen i've only seen like a hand of like the kind of the basics i want to expand that a lot that's yeah, a good one to expand to shutter yes yeah. shutter is a godsend honestly seriously um yeah. so what was your first horror movie oh my god See, it's hard to say because my early memories are just kind of a mishmash of scenes. Okay. Um, so it's hard to really pinpoint. God, you know, it might be Evil Dead 2. Wow. It might be. Oh, my God. <laughs> just thrown yeah. into the deep end. Yeah. I think because the tone is so like Looney Tunes that that one it was really a little is. easier to, to manage. But um, God, was it Evil Dead 2? It might have been. Wow. That oh, is I don't Looney know. <laughs> That's a Looney Tunes movie to watch as a kid when you're like, am I supposed to be scared or laughing? And you're like, yeah. it's both. Welcome yeah. to genre. <laughs> And I distinctly remember watching, um, oh, you know what? It actually might be Creepshow. Now that I think about it, it might be Creepshow. Oh, okay. But I have a, a really strong memory of watching Return of the Living Dead with my dad at like 3 a.m. on a Wednesday when I went to go to school the next day for like eighth grade. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. That is yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, it's so good. Also, like three, like watching these movies at three in the like three a.m. Like you're doing it at the best possible time. Like it was probably dark in your house, and like all the lights were off, and it was late at night. Like you're having, you had like the quintessential horror movie watching experience. Absolutely, and also like I was at an age where it's all getting just mushed down into like a stew at the base of my brain. Yep, (laughs) (laughs) just becoming like this compost for for the rest of my life. I guess Um, ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so transitioning to being an adult, what would you say draws you to horror now? Is it the same thing that drew you to as a kid or is it different things? It's probably a bunch of stuff. There's definitely yeah. still that nostalgia from when I was mm-hmm. kid. It's like has all those warm and fuzzy memories associated with it, especially, you know, growing up on like 80s fair and then having like that kind of be like the stuff that's uh the focus of so much nostalgia these days. Mm-hmm. But also I really appreciate the horror genre um as I grew older as a place where 
it's probably the best genre for like exploring ideas, probably like the most progressive genre, Mm -hmm. just like really tackling mm, deeper issues, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's the best for that. And I think it has the most breadth out of all like genres to talk about stuff and just kind of play with those ideas. And I find that really interesting aside from, you know, just being like really cathartic pleasures. Did, did horror movies scare you when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, imagery from various horror movies all kind of like teamed up to kick my ass when I was a kid for sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So as, as an adult, do you still get that childhood fear? At all, or are um, you jaded like the rest of us? <laughs> it, it's so rare. I'm pretty. I'm pretty jaded. Uh, yeah. I gotta. I gotta say, maybe the last time I felt that was um, it follows. Uh, okay. Was like the, the closest I've come to that. I think. Yeah, but it's really rare. More so, it's just an appreciation of like ideas and stuff, and like, well, that's cool imagery, but like, it's less so like really getting to it. But you know, everyone's fallible with jump scares and stuff. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Can't avoid that. No. <laughs> so yeah. what are some of your favorite horror movies now as an adult? My favorite ones now. Ooh, I would have to say I wrote down a few of these because I, I, I specifically thought I'd be asked this. Black Christmas, <laughs> the original Black Christmas. Which, the se- Original. The se- OK. The 79 one, uh, which I think is t- as an adult, that's the scariest. That might be the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's so good. The, the prank it's phone so calls in that. It's so fucking good. Oh my it's god. It's so fucking I, good and so scary. I watched that for the first time last year and I did not realize how fucking scary it was. I was like, oh, it's it'll so be like a fun scary. Sla- it'll be a fun slasher. And I was like, this is repulsive, like in a good way, but like <laughs> <Yeah>. oh shit. <laughs> that movie is a masterclass in just like uh, this bleak tension. It's insane. Um and you kind of it kind of feels like it has a really um it blindsides people, I think. You don't think it's going to be like this because you, you think of slasher movies. I think of slasher movies as kind of like having that nostalgia, but also being like really tropey, not really having mm-hmm. the ability to get to you and scare you. And then this one comes out and it's like the grandfather for like Halloween. And it's doing shit it, that is way more effective than that movie, I think, than everything that came after it. And it's more progressive. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has this restraint that you do not see, especially in the 80 slashers, that makes the terror in it so ambiguous, but so, like, all pervasive. The fact that the killer, you never see the killer, it's just this voice on the phone and the perspective you're looking through, is so, so fucking scary. Just yeah. that that eyeball on the doorframe has oh haunted, my God. Has haunted <laughs> me since I was a kid, I swear. That's another one. I could have I brought a Black Christmas, but I think you guys tackled that one already. Yeah, we did. We did. Um... um yeah. Also, the just the the obscene phone call in the beginning. Like I was yeah. the first time I watched the movie, I was not prepared for how sexual it was and how horrifying it was. Oh like, my god! Yeah, yeah. That's a it's a great movie. But for other ones, um, I always say my th- the three big horror movies I always recommend to people are Black Christmas, nineteen seventy nine, uh, Ghost Watch. I don't know if you guys have seen that. <gasps> oh my god! Ghost, Ghost Watch is so scary, and Noroi the Curse is the third one. Oh my, uh, Trevor! I knew Trevor. I knew that we were like. I know that on Twitter, like we were gonna be friends. Yeah. And that's one of. The, I was like, he has to be a found footage person because all of his art is like found footage. And so, thank you, Nora yeah, the Curse. Uh, it's Ugh. there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else there's quite like nothing that. Nothing else like it. I still need yeah. to watch it. You oh, do it set aside Shutter. a night. Set aside a night oh, for it. You, so it'll good. kick your ass. It's so good. Koji oh, Shirashi's uh, movies are. So, have you seen any more of his movies? Have you seen like? I have. Cult? Yeah. Okay. Cult. Cool. I, I always confuse like occult and cult because one is like yes. kind of a jokey kind of like horror comedy kind of thing, 
And the other one is like actually really scary in a completely different way from Noroi. Yes. I think Cult is the one I like almost as much as Noroi, which is about a guy plotting to carry out a terrorist attack because God yes. has told him to do it. And the, and the person filming him becomes kind of implicit and kind of like buys into this idea. And then you finding out that, well, I won't spoil it, but Don't spoil you know, it. He, don't spoil I won't spoil. It. I won't, okay, I won't say anymore. <laughs> but it's the ending to uh, um, Cult. If it's Cult, I think it's Cult. It is Cult. It is Cult. I think I'm triple checking. You know what? I actually think it's. Sure. A, I think it's O Cult. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Either way, the ending to okay, that. Yes, everyone. Yeah. A Cult is the scary one. A Cult is the with scary the, one the ter- with the terrorist attack or like the with plotting the terrorist, yeah. terrorist attack. Cult is has some really incredible ghost designs in it, but it's like super oh, joke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the ending to a Cult is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) Despite some effects work that's, you know, doesn't maybe hold up. I think it's scarier because of that. But um, the effects are hilarious, but it's it's streaming. It's on YouTube, everybody. If you want to check it out, it's available on YouTube. A lot of his movies are hard to find. It's available in full. And also the soundtrack to that is just incredible. Cannot recommend that one enough. Okay, so you're a found footage person. You're a found footage lover? I am cool. Like the entire direction my art has taken since like 2018 has been trying to capture the best singular moments from found footage horror movies that don't exist at all. Oh, they do. <laughs> uh, thank well, that's you. That's why. Let's. That's how I felt. Like so, my partner showed me your work and was like, "Look at this," and I was like, "That's not scary." And then I saw something. And I was like, "Just kidding! What the fuck?" <laughs> and so I've been following you ever since because it's like. I think it was the the burned face man in the car. Was that his the witch, name? The which one, sorry? In the car. The, was it burnt? No, the no face. The, it was always pictures of like cars or oh, car accidents. The dude with the upside down face. Yeah, the I dude think, with the I, upside down face. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. No, 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 it's cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, everyone, a lot, well, like a bunch of people have told me they like that one. I got to do more with that guy. I, I, I like but, him a lot. So, okay, so like now we're transitioning into your artwork. So, okay, how did you get started? in the art world have you always wanted to be an artist like what what has oh, the yeah. journey even like for you as an artist i've wanted to be you know an artist since i was a little kid and then i kind of transitioned that towards specifically illustrator after seeing some universities going to some like uh art shows and whatnot and then you know you know i, I think a lot of people when they go to university for art uh it's kind of four years of just little like stops and starts and bad art yeah speaking of myself i did four years of art that looks absolutely nothing like anything I would even do today. <laughs> and I hate it with all my fiber of being. <laughs> and then I, I kind of came out the other side of, you know, I got my bachelor's in illustration and I was doing practical, like, uh, you know, pen and paper, um, watercolors and acrylic inks work and just doing like fan posters and stuff for horror movies for years. And, just, and they look completely different. I did, I had a whole thing where I did, um, hanging Halloween decorations shaped like Michael Myers and stuff for a long time. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And th- those were popular, but then I just slowly started trying out different stuff and using social media as kind of like a testing ground just to see what like resonated. And then I did an image that was, like I said, just trying to do, you know, can I do a, a, a moment from a really cool horror movie like Norai or Ghostwatch or something like that. And it's this mm-hmm. digital drawing that's supposed to look like night vision. And it's like a bunch of trees with like all these different hands coming from beyond the trees. Oh my God. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was the very, very first one. And then I was like, oh, if I just use like the, the character limit for Twitter and just use that as a restraint on myself to see what I can accomplish with that amount of words, just do like a little contextual, you know, like, oh, SCP style 
little blurb. Maybe I can make like an effective pairing of image and text. And then it had like a great response, like better than anything I've ever posted on any social media at that point in time. So it was like, okay. And I just kind of rolled with it just because the direction, like of the eyes it was getting, the fact that it was resonating with people. Um, and then I had months and months where I was doing just like fully digital versions with like captions integrated into the imagery and just playing with different mm. stuff. And then I was like, oh, maybe what can I draw on top of a photo? And then I think that kind of took it to another level because it became like an interactive thing where people who followed me could send in photos that they'd taken of like their crawl space or their backyard or whatever. And then Ooh. they had like a chance of me pulling it out of the folder and drawing a thing and like crediting them. So it became like a cool like lottery almost. And then that was a way of guaranteeing that I always had photos. So mm. it wasn't just my neighborhood because mm -hmm. that was going to get boring really quick. And also people were into it because like, oh, I want to see mine. I want to see my house. And every time I posted a caption and then said like base photo credit this person, more people would be like, oh, I can send stuff in. There's a chance. So it became like this almost like perpetual motion machine a little bit where I always had fodder to draw on. and also. At the time, I was working retail at a, an art store, and I would come home and want to draw something because social media is very much about, unfortunately, you know, constantly making art yeah. to stay on top yeah. of it. It sucks. Oh, yeah. it's, it's the worst. But it became a really easy way for me to be like, okay, I don't have to draw a whole picture. I can kind of cheat, <laughs> and I can just take a photo someone sent me, and then I can just do my best and kind of like bone up on my shell, like how I can integrate like a weird creep into this guy's parking garage and like how well can i make the shadows work in terms of how it would actually fall and the lighting and like the grain of the photo and the texture of the photo and like just work at that so there was like you know a period of time where i was doing like three or four of those a night for like a year a year and a half wow and um you know a lot of them weren't great because you have to work with the photo and some of them like just will not lend themselves to that better that well i mean but that was kind of like a really good testing ground for that and it did really well with people which is really nice and also it became like a really cool way to like just focus on creature design just just focusing specifically on making a unique monster that would stand out in that environment so it became like that's, this kind of perfect storm that's amazing actually i was gonna ask you so what is your process for creating these characters because i know siren head is one of your big characters yeah that one blew up <laughs> <laughs> you have Duh. the upside down the upside down face dude and you have yeah. the horse the horse friend yeah long so, horse yeah <laughs> long horse who i love so what is the process for you in creating these characters that are both terrifying and also kind of cute in a really fucked up way at least long horse is thank you yeah i've, I've heard that from a lot of people about a lot of them that are like actually super intimidating to me except for upside down face man nobody likes that dude. everyone seems to be really like spooked by that guy which no, is he cool. is. Yeah. <laughs> He's scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up until that point, it was really like uh, very sketch heavy. Mm -hmm. And it became more of a thing like, let's see if I can just like jump right into the painting on top of the photo phase and just kind of like sketch on top of that and see if I can kind of come up on come up with a design on the fly. So you'll see a lot of similar guys in my photos, like well, usually like long, tall, thin dudes, mm -hmm. partially because that's what scares me, but also because I'm just kind of like going with what works a lot of the time um, and just like using it for practice. Um, but to answer your question, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. Is no, that, fine. I, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I just draw on top, like with no pre-planning at all and just kind of use that as like, let's see what I can do just with no planning, draw right on top of the photo and, and see if I can make it look realistic. And then I always do the caption after the fact 
and use that as like oh. some of the, okay, let me, what can I write just without any pre-planning or a thought from the image I've just made with no pre-planning or thought, just to like as an exercise. And then um, once characters started kind of establishing themselves, it became easier to kind of draw lines between things and kind mm. of making like like an implicit universe where you can like allude to connections between different things. Mm. And that's just really, really fun for me. I was going to ask, do they, do they all exist in the same universe? And you think uh, you just answered my question, but... <laughs> they, um, there's like three different... <laughs> this is all stuff I just think to myself and, and haven't really said, but there's supposed to be like three different universes. There's one Ooh. where there's... The really, really big guys, every once in a while, there'll be like a giant kaiju-sized monster in, the, in like a mist um, mm-hmm. or like in, the, in a storm or on the horizon. And that's supposed to be in a world where giant monsters are commonplace. So the caption will always be like, you know, you know it'll be like an emergency broadcast, like, a, like you would get for a tornado. But it's like this giant, like six-legged thing on the horizon. It's supposed to be like they're like a natural disaster, like, oh. like, like a hurricane or, other, or something else like that. Um, and then there's yeah. the one where most of the pictures take place, in, which is just supposed to be our world, where most okay. people don't don't know about monsters like the Upside Down Face Man, Cartoon Cat, Long Horse, and uh, stuff like that. But then there's also like relationships, for lack of a better word, of like which characters, which monsters know about each other, which ones don't, <laughs> which ones like tolerate each other's presence or not or what. Um, where Long Horse is kind of like this ambivalent protector kind of character that like knows more about the other monsters, but the humans don't. Uh, so it's all oh very God, nerdy. Long, <laughs> long horse is like Mothra. A little bit like Mothra. Um, <laughs> or even Mothman. That's why I love long horse so much. Yeah. He's supposed <laughs> to be able to show up before a, a, like a big disaster happens. Can you please write a book? Yeah. I want to, I want to do that. There's some irons in the fire, but, you know, ho- hopefully in the future. I want either, like, a graphic novel or just, like, a compendium of all of your creatures, like, field notes of all of them. That is literally exactly what I want to do and have wanted to oh do since, like, 2018. I want to do a big coffee table book that's just, like, all the different monsters with, like, someone who's, like, been following and, like, you know, scratching notes in the margins of paper and just, like, trying to, like, put this together. I oh love God. that idea. It's yeah. like, uh, it's like taking, uh, this is really nerdy, but taking Van, uh, Van Richter from, Van Richter, Van Richten from, uh, Dungeon Dragons Ravenloft and <laughs> making a guide from, I love that. that yeah, yeah. Idea. Um, I don't know if it'll, when it'll happen, but the, that's the goal is to do that. And, like, you know, a lot of the photo stuff I've done that I would have used in a book, I don't think is good, that good anymore. Kind of got mm. better at it. So I wouldn't, I would only use like 10% of it, but I still think I could like use that and then build it up. Just a big glossy book that I would want to release. I would love that. That I would buy that in a heartbeat. Uh, I would too. (laughs) (laughs) I could probably Kickstarter it or something too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I would love that a lot. Would donate. I will say. (laughs) Cause you know, the thing that I really like about, about your art and I'm, I'm just, now again going through the some of the pictures you have on your website which we'll we'll link to in the show notes but just the just the idea of some of it is like you know walking down the street and it's dark and while you're doing that there's that thought in your mind of like what if you turn the corner and there is just something Mm -hmm. otherworldly just sort of standing there like and that's what i think your art really encapsulates i like i particularly love and I don't I'm, I'm really bad with with monsters. I don't know what they are, but there's one that you have on, on your site that's like under a sewer grate. And there's a creature 
you see the head kind of popping out of the yeah. water. And it reminds me of like something you would see in a scary stories to tell in the dark type of art. Oh, yeah, but yeah. It's like I remember as a kid, I would like go look under sewer sewer grates and grates and stuff like this and, and look at in areas that I probably shouldn't have been. And I always just think, what if I saw something? And that's what I love about your art in, in the way that it, it captures that sort of moment. Oh, thank you so much. That's like exactly what I'm going for. Um, and I think using photos of like really like almost mundane, like suburban and city locations really lends itself well to that. Um, Cause it's where you go. It's where most people are walking back and forth every day. You know, you're walking to work, you're walking yeah. home from work. And like, I'm sure lots of people I've thought about, you know, what if I went down an alley on my way home, and I ran into something, what would I do? And if I can trick your brain into thinking <laughs> it's in a, like a fight or flight uh, scenario, yeah. for like a split for a fraction of a second before they're like, oh, that brush stroke doesn't look right. Or that, you know, lighting doesn't quite match up. But I've done my job and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like you're especially with the photos where i have to like zoom in on them to find it it feels like it is like found footage where you have to like look and really interact with it you can't just like oh cool like yeah double yeah. double tap and go away like you really are you're really making people interact with your art in a really awesome way that i yeah. really appreciate so thank you yeah i've and been scares, told that and the, scares um... the shit out of me a little bit when it's like <laughs> not thank where you. i expected i'm like fuck that's where it is <laughs> yeah i've been told that like some of them especially the ones where it's like hidden which i need to do more i've done i've focused more on just like because it's a balance between showing off like a feature design you're proud of and then also like making it realistic so maybe it's a little more hidden and then also like if you have to hunt for it people really respond to that like you mentioned yeah it almost becomes like a still image jump scare like from a horror movie because yes you're doing it to yourself by like scrolling around through the photo and then, you know, something pops out that you didn't notice was there the whole time. Those are my favorite Com types of scares. Like uh evil where's Waldo kind of, kind of vibe. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so we've, we could talk about your artwork for hours, but I guess we should probably talk about the movie you brought today. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it ties in with what I was speaking about a little earlier about the, the anchor bay clamshell vhs's cool so um, trevor what yeah. movie are we talking about we are talking about lucio fulci's the beyond amazing so lucio fulci's Lu lucio or lucio uh oh i could be saying it wrong i've already said always said lucio but it might be luke or another pronunciation i'm not sure i think it's lucio okay i'm because it says you say chow like that so i'm gonna say lucio yeah. fulci okay so in lucio fulci's be the beyond a young woman inherits an old hotel in louisiana where following a series of supernatural accidents in scare quotes she learns mm -hmm. that the building was built over one of the entrances to hell mm. boy oh boy so <laughs> i you know i i didn't see this until like a few years ago and re-watching it for this i just i have to know <laughs> How old were you when you saw this movie and what what did your mind think about this? Because this movie is a trip. So it's probably not one of the moments you're thinking more than the others. Um, it wasn't one of the super big gory moments, which there are many of in this film. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, just like really gruesome film, as most of Lucio Fulci's films were. But it was one of those films where I think I must have seen the, like a scene out of context when I was really, really young from my dad. And it's a mm -hmm. scene in the film where there's a little girl, there's a character in the film who's a little girl, who is at the moment in that film in a morgue. And her mom, oh. yeah, uh, this bottle of acid oh. te telekinetically like drip drops and, and pours itself onto her mother's prone corpse onto her face. 
and the whole face just kind of liquefies and melts over this like slow motion sequence. It's like three minutes long, but it wasn't even that. It's this one shot where she's backing up into the corner and this like cloudy acidy blood pool is just slowly spreading and pushing her back. And that imagery of specifically this little girl character kind of in slow motion being pushed back against the wall to, to avoid having her shoes engulfed in the syrupy, bloody acid mess is what resonated with me um, and scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, really, really young. And Do you know how old you were or like around? I mean, when you said really be young? like six or seven, it Jeez. has to be okay. like six, oh, six Jesus. six to seven, seven to eight. Like, that's got to be the range tops yep. um, because yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That, that's just the perfect age. I, I've decided to have an, I, a scene imprint on your mind because that's that for me, I was like, I think I was seven or eight when I, when I saw alien and the scenes mm-hmm. and that just like sort of imprint in your mind. I, I really think that that is like the perfect age. Yeah. Your brain is just this perfect little like sludgy sponge that just soaks everything up. Got to be really careful. <laughs> at that age, I think. So it was this froth thing that was pouring toward her feet that, like, yeah, got you? Specifically this bloody, uh, like, cloud of goo that's, like, threaded through with white. It's just really disgusting. And then I, it bugged me for years, and I had no idea what it was from. And I couldn't figure it out because this was, like, you know, the 90s. And I just had no reference point for it until we picked up uh, the clamshell on mm. one of my outings with my dad. Oh. Uh, so it was kind of like, you know, traumatic flashbacks for a, uh, for a second, just because I finally put that piece in and uh, kind of recontextualized it. Uh, I guess robbed it of its like nightmarish power a little bit. Do you do you know how you would have seen it as a kid? Is it just that your dad was watching him and you maybe came in at that point? Or I think what happened was that my dad um, uh, at the time, was, you know, he... He traded VHS tapes with people at work and also ordered tapes online from sellers at the time where you could get like dubbed VHS tapes of horror movies that were harder to find, mm. um, like Italian imports, uh, different like Japanese horror movies, stuff like that. I would take advantage of this in my teenage years. And uh, my first exposure to J-horror was through a bunch of bootleg tapes that some guy in like Minnesota or something <laughs> done for me specifically for like $85 and sent in the mail. Um, wow. Which ones though? Which one? That I remember distinctly. It was four tapes. It was Ring, uh, Wild Zero, Battle mm-hmm. Royale, and mm-hmm. The Eye, which is a Thai horror film. Wow. A great combo. <laughs> right. Imagine seeing those out of context for the very first time. Uh, wow. Blew me away. But but I think a similar thing is what happened with my dad, where he had got his hands on a scratchy old copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> right, uh, right. of the beyond and i maybe had walked in and, and caught that moment in particular or he was showing me at that age i can't <laughs> rule it out uh completely so either way either i've blocked out all the really gnarly shit from the beyond <laughs> and only remember the only remember this weird like out of context amnesiac moment or i walked in while he was responsibly keeping me away from the beyond and just saw that one little part until the, you know years later when I was at least almost a teenager. So when you rewatch it as a teenager, were there any parts that stood out to you uh, that were scary? I know that you said the the bloody acid pool wasn't as scary, but was there mm. anything that stuck out on upon second viewing or like first full of actual viewing? Yeah, there's a part uh, where a character who was introduced just to be horribly massacred, Joe the Plumber, 
is called oh, Joe in. Joe the Plumber. Joe the Plumber. He's called in to, to check out the flooded basement of the spooky Louisiana, Louisiana hotel that is built in hotel. And uh, he makes a hole in the wall where all this like sludgy sewage is coming out. And then like a rotten corpse arm like rockets out and then kind of like budges his eye out of its socket with oh. like his thumb. Just kind of pushes it to the side a little bit. Um, Fulci and his <laughs> eye trauma. The way that that yeah. eye pops out is so gross. Oh, yeah, most directors would have like had him squeeze the head and then have the eye pop out. Fulci has him like kind of nudge it out of socket with his like thumbnail a little bit. Um, but yeah, Fulci loves eye trauma and the beyond has, I think at least two different kinds of eye trauma, maybe three. Yes, there's, there's, a, there's at least, well, I, there's definitely at least two because there's that yeah. one. And then there's poor Martha that gets like impaled on a yeah. nail uh, and it pokes a zombie. out her eye. Actually the same character who it's had his Joe, eye knocked out Joe, yeah. becomes a zombie who then knocks out her eye from behind through a nail ah. through the back of her head. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that image, that one uh, also scared the shit out of me at a later date. Less so because I was pretty uh, hardened by battle at that point. But yeah, that, that one stood up. Oh, and yeah, sorry. The like seven minute long slow motion sequence where a blind woman's dog rips her throat out. Uh, oh my God. Thank <laughs> you. Because that fucked me up. So this is the first time I've seen the beyond. I'm yeah. like, super like, I'm a Fulci novice. I've only seen one of other of his movies and I was like, Oh, I was so excited. Like Emily, this w Emily, this woman yeah. who is blind. She's these milky white, yellow eyes thinking of eyes and she's a ghost, right? Mm -hmm. She's a ghost. Maybe. Okay. Well, I have it's a stupid question. Is she the woman from, is she the woman from the very beginning? That's my dumb question. I, I thought she was. No, it's not a okay. dumb question because I was thinking the same thing. I assumed that she was the woman from the beginning who was reading the book. Oh yeah. She is the same woman. Okay. Um, That's yeah. what I thought. I, I, but like all the like Wikipedia summaries and IMDb summaries and all of them that I could find never really talked about her. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that is that woman. But I wasn't I wasn't positive. My understanding is that it's the same woman from the beginning and her eyes go all milky from reading the Book of the Dead or the Book of Ebon, that opening scene. And then yeah. she's in hell for the indeterminate number of years. And then she comes out of hell when they make the hotel open again. She probably crawls out of the gate of hell or whatever to try and warn them. with her with her seeing eye dog with her seeing eye dog, which is then turned against herself by the angry spirits of hell. But it, I mean, this is all circumstantial evidence and it's very like dream logic. It's very dream logic. What I did appreciate about that scene, though, is the fact that, you know, she sees no evil and then her throat is torn out. So she speaks no evil and then her ear is torn off so she can hear no evil. Oh, you're oh, right. Shit. shit. And then she Look goes back that. to hell. <laughs> I had oh, no, I never, I never shit. caught that. I was like, why are we tearing off her ear? Other than the fact that it's incredibly gory. And I was like, wait, her throat. Yeah. Yeah. And it just sort of like came to me because I was like, so hyper-focused on why the ear <laughs> is getting not off by this damn dog. That might well, be a detail I, where if you told Fulci, he'd be like, yeah, you nailed it. Sure. That's what I meant. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, that's totally you know. what I meant. And I just didn't mean to just rip off her and like her face and her body. Yeah. Well, and I was so like, I was, I was writing notes. I was like, oh my gosh, yay, demon attacking dog Dickie. I'm so excited. And then literally I finished typing that note and then <laughs> ripping out her throat. I was like, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> She's not good. 
the way that scene plays out is 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 really it's it's really well done because you know she's first of all she's walking through and there you see like the zombies all around her she can of course see them and then dicky goes and kills him and then he just bounds back and sits by her lap and he's like oh what a good oh god (laughs) oh jesus she just gets destroyed but so let since we are talking about emily from the beginning i want to go back to the beginning because that opening is oh yeah incredible incredible like fulci does not fuck around with the gore he is like i will i'm not like this isn't gonna be a lore dump this is just gonna be you watching a guy get absolutely like massacred with a chain with a mob and And is the lore that's the lore and that's you know what i love it yeah and it's sepia toned which is yeah i love the choice she's like (laughs) He's like, fuck black and white. We're going to do sepia tone. That's what I love about this. It's not that old. It's just a little old. So here's some sepia. (laughs) Well, and so what I loved about the beginning, which is also the worst part about the beginning, beginning, is when, like, they just take him down to the basement and Mm -hmm. they hit him with the chain. His skin opens up, which amazing how they do those effects with like having that skin open up like that. And then instead of like, he just zooms right into the wound every single time, like every separate wound, the camera zooms in on it. And I absolutely (laughs) love that because I mean, like it sounds fucked up, but here we are. Like, it's so funny because Fulci is just saying like, you like violence. All right, let's look at it. And it's just like shoving it in your face. And even though it's in the sepia tone and it's not as bloody or as like graphic as you may think you kind of fill in the blanks and it's just so graphic and it's like Fulci's laughing at you when Mm -hmm. you're looking at it and then his face is melting (laughs) it's just like it's just it's just it's great I just love that establishing tone he's like yeah no we're just gonna go right to it like this is what the movie is and that's what it's gonna be for 90 minutes oh yeah like perfect (laughs) he actually doubles down on that too he like there's three movies that are like his uh, unofficial like Gates of Hell trilogy, which is House by the Cemetery, uh, The Beyond, mm-hmm. and Gates of Hell, oh, which is also City of Living Dead. And if you watch that one, I, I don't know if you've seen that one or not, mm-hmm. but there's like he really makes it explicit that he is like, you, you want to see some gore? Fine, here. There's like <laughs> a part in that one where a zombie literally picks up a pile of like putrescent filth and maggots and worms and just shoves it in the face, literally shoves it in the face and rubs <laughs> like in the eyes of like one of the characters. Um, oh! the, me- the message couldn't be clear, honestly. Yeah. And if you think the I Beyond's bad, you got to see City of the Living Dead. It's, it's gnarly, gnarly I've, shit. I have seen City of the Living Dead like a long time ago, and I, I don't remember much about it, except that it, it definitely, from what I remember, it really like hones in on the sur- the surrealness of it does, yeah. These this this the kind of feel that this movie has that one is like amped up from what I remember about it. And I've yeah. not seen the house is the house by the cemetery. I've not house seen by the that cemetery. One. That's like his take on The Shining almost. With this oh wow, cu- oh. couple moving into this house, um, this like um, Baltimore house, I think it is, and it, uh, there's like this mad killer in the basement that's picking people off. Um, but especially Gates of Hell and and uh, beyond have this very like lovecraft cosmic horror energy to them that i really appreciate okay so since you brought that up let's let's i, I wanted to dig into that the book of of i ibon ibon yeah. ibon so that is attributed to the writer clark ashton smith uh mm-hmm. yeah who yeah. was a contemporary of lovecraft and he was one of the the big three that wrote for weird tales along with robert e howard who of course did the conan among yeah. others and also lovecraft 
Um, have you ever read any of his book, his work, or I had either of you? I've never I've only heard read of him. I've read one short story. At least I think it's by him. I could be completely wrong and like showing my ass here, but I think he did a story called "The Treader in the Dust" that is extremely, extremely good. Yeah, but I don't know if it's him. It might be. Him. Okay. Uh, but I, but I've not read most of his stuff. No, I haven't either. I haven't. I've heard of him, but I don't think I've read any of his stuff. Yeah, from what I from what I'm gathering when I when I did re- research into into him, like I I really want to like <laughs> go read his stuff now. Is that mm-hmm. he? It almost seemed like he had a very morbid and sardonic uh, way of approaching his work. There was a critic that was quoted on Wikipedia that said that nobody since Poe has so loved a well rotted corpse. And <laughs> I just felt like. <laughs> I mean, yes, that sounds good. That sounds perfect. And I know that he wrote stories within the Cthulhu mythos and the the book of of Ebon is um, based on an actual book of Ebon that I guess belonged to a a sorcerer in some of his his writings. And it was basically like a book about his his life. And I so I thought that was interesting because this this definitely feels more Lovecraftian than I was expecting or like that kind of cosmic element of hell because like hell is definitely not the fire and brimstone in this movie that we're you know that the the, the christian ideal that people are, are saying it feels like a lot more well lovecraftian or like cosmic in that way yeah it's like if if lovecraft had uh, a realm that was just like infinite about abyss of like decay and rot like just this infinite rot is is the cosmic horror yeah i films. was thinking of I was thinking about that, like with the painting from the beginning, because like, there's always this relationship in um, in Lovecraft's work between like art artist and the mm-hmm. cosmic horror, and yeah. so that was at the end when they walk through the gate of hell. It's not the hell that you would expect, but like you said, it's like this vast, expansive wasteland of just rot and gray and sadness, and it relates to the painting. Yeah, and there is this really interesting, like the artist trying to capture the unknowable. And oh, totally. Like the, the maddening unknowable, which yeah, the yeah. the warlock uh, painter at the in the start of the film that kind of haunts the entire film as yeah. a as a living corpse is a very Lovecraftian <laughs> character. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, reminds me of like characters like the musician like Ericsson and the music of Ericsson, which is a pretty good Lovecraft story, and um, Pickman's model, which is about a painter who is painting these creatures from a from another realm, um, and how that doesn't really work out so well. Uh, uh, so yeah, it totally, totally fits. And I didn't actually know that, um, the book of Ibon, Ebon was a Clark Ashton Smith creation, but it, it absolutely tracks that he would pick that detail from, from. Yeah. And what I loved is that it was taking like Lovecraft adjacent, like he wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like a Necronomicon that, you know, that is typically used in these types of stories. Like he, he's like, no, we're going to go for a deeper cut and we're going to grab yeah. the book of, I, of Ibon. I, I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, now. And- Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. If you have something to continue with that, I was going to change the subject. So go ahead. No, I was just going to say, watch Gates of Hell. It's great. A priest makes someone vomit up their intestinal tract. Go. Yeah, that's all. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it rules. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. A telekinetic dead priest that hung himself shows up as a ghost that teleports around and he stares at you so hard that you vomit up your own guts and die. It's the best. I, I mean, that, that tracks with Fulci, mm-hmm. I would say like yeah. his, his gore in particular is so goopy and so frothy Ooh. and so chunky. <laughs> like even when it's like supposed to be just Ew. blood, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't look like blood. It's like, it's, I can understand why in particular the scene of, of the little girl backing up because that froth 
mm-hmm. on the ground is is not a bl- it's not like a typical blood you know stream no. that like that most directors would use. It is like this. I don't know. Like they put it in one of those like you can machines see like, that like you can see like curds of like congealed flesh in it. It's so like, disgusting. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. Uh, now yeah. I, I will say that I do have a bone to pick with you. Oh yeah, Go and it's the same bone that I've had to pick with a number of guests. <laughs> What's that? It's that you picked a movie that has surprise fucking spiders in it. <laughs> oh god, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Fuck that. Sc- okay. Oh my huge like okay i don't know what happened in that scene because the moment the spiders came out my eyes are covered and i will admit this as a 40 year old man that i did not watch the scene because there are fucking tarantulas but i could hear them and the noise they were you. making was absolutely terrifying it's, it's a really so, good thing you covered your eyes i gotta say yeah so i was texting terry and i was like how was the tarantula scene for you he was like oh i didn't watch you're gonna have to tell me what happened. So seriously like, that, that makes a lot of sense because Terry, are you ready to hear the description? Are you are you good? I am because you know what I think this is like the second or third time I've seen this movie, and I forget every single time <laughs> that there are fucking tarantulas in because I think I blocked it out of my mind every single the time. The scene also comes out of nowhere, like there's no context it for it. Yeah, like, tra- fucking surprise the, tarantulas. It's the same thing as we watched <laughs> uh, something wicked this way comes with Cecil with oh, Cecil yeah, Baldwin, yeah. and there's all of a sudden tarantulas under the bed, or even a, a, a silly kids movie with that we watched yeah. for Gory Corey that like all of a sudden there's a fucking tarantula. I'm like no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's an easy go-to for a lot of horror movies, especially um, uh, younger, younger, like aimed at younger movies. I think. Yeah. But those spiders fuck that guy's face up. They Dude. just so, fuck it. Oh, my God. So they just they crawl on his face and they rip off his bottom lip. Oh, because so, he's paralyzed. Yeah, he falls off-, off the ladder. He's paralyzed. He can't yes. move while the spiders move in on. Yeah. So they rip off his bottom lip and they just kind of nibble. I don't nibble is not the right word. Kind of just tear at his face. They put legs in his mouth. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's all over his face and they're just eating him. They See, tear off a like nostril. Night- they, that's they, nightmare yes. fuel. They I pop can't. an eyeball. <laughs> they do pop an eyeball. They do? Yeah. Oh, that's right. They pop an eyeball. Oh, yeah, they pop an eyeball. See, and, and, they, and the sounds, like you said, Terry, the sounds are repulsive. There's like the squelching yeah. and like the the sound of their legs. It's just like, oh, oh, and it's all close up too. Yeah. So like you're watching these spiders up close just like rip off his lips it's and basically eat his face they have a part where the spider goes into the guy's mouth to eat his tongue and they cut yep. to um a shot of the camera under glass with the spider right on top so it's like you're in the mouth yeah watching the spider come in and to eat his tongue it's great it's wonderful it's so good i mean terry <sighs> you would shit your pants which i get like yeah. it's not it freaked me out and i have no problem with spiders so terry i don't you heard it i think you got the the picture there were it's a, a couple moments pick, like arachnophobia or kingdom uh, of spiders or something arachnophobia is the reason this podcast started that was the very first <laughs> oh, movie oh there we go okay that's that that's like that that's my that is my scarred for life story right there. Um, you know, like the way the way this unfolded just was so horrifying for me because, like, you know, he's up there, he's taking, he's looking at the blueprints, and he's up on this ladder, and I'm like, okay, so I'm taking notes, and there's like, oh, he fell, so I'm like looking at my computer, typing, you know, a little bit about he falls, and I look up, and all of a sudden there are spiders coming out of nowhere. I'm like, god damn it! <laughs> 
only gonna every horror movie from now on you guys cover should just have a surprise tarantula scene it just no, comes out of, i'm gonna make a Terry list of these quit. movies i would Terry yeah. would quit because I, I honestly i, I did not watch the scene i, I peeked a couple times like nope it's still going and like there's one time where like it was obviously like a fake spider leg that was like touching yeah. something i'm like yeah. okay i so i looked up as like i saw that and i was like okay that oh nope there's a real spider there i can't do it <laughs> yeah they mix them they mix between they cut between the pipe cleaner spiders and the real ones yeah <laughs> Pipe cleaners. They are literally yeah. pipe cleaners. Yeah, I know they're funny little legs. Yeah, yeah. And there's somebody off screen just kind of like tilting the back and forth. It's great. Fucking hell. <laughs> I, but like again, I it, Fulci's effects, like the spider biting in and ripping off his lip. Yeah, like it just uh, looks so good. Sergio Stivaletti. That's his. Uh, just... He did all of his work, uh, and he's oh, very so good. Amazing. He also like, did the effects see... work for. Um... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Totally fine. I was going to say, he also did the effects work for High Tension, which has some really good gore. <gasps> oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That makes a lot that of tracks. sense. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. Thank yeah. God there's no surprise tarantulas in that one. Yeah, just like right before the credits. Fuck you, Terry. Oh my God. <laughs> it's out of the Snyder Cut. It's the no. Snyder Cut. It's the oh, Snyder no. Cut. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's very good. Uh, Every time a spider pops out, I'm always like, I just imagine the director sitting there going, fuck you, Terry. That's like what I imagine every single time. Cause I just, I can't, I can't handle it. So does it, is it just spiders or does it translate to like cockroaches or like other bugs or other? I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't like other, I don't like cockroaches, but I'm not scared of them. No, it's, oh, okay. it's, it's spiders. Like they have plagued my mind since i was a kid <laughs> to the point where like when i have lucid dreams I, if i'm laying on my back i see like spiders coming down a webs above me just like descending oh. on my ceiling or if i'm on my side i'll be that kind of like a sleep awake thing where i will see a giant spider on like my nightstand and it will move behind something and then of course i get oh. up and like I can't find it. So like, this is what we're talking about. This is what, this is why I can't watch these things because I'm like, I can't see these spiders eating a paralyzed person because then I'm going to start fucking dreaming about it. <laughs> yeah. That's a wise move to skip that scene. Absolutely. Um, I just have to let you know that I said this, the spider cut and my fiance texted me from the other room. Boo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I exactly, appreciate Steve. It. Boo. But Terry, we should make shirts that say spider cut. <laughs> Release the spider uh, cut. <laughs> Said he's booing me still. Uh, <laughs> that's anyway. a brilliant idea. That actually is uh, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> we won't put a spider on it. Because then <laughs> you can the wear it. I mean, it's, so if it's a cartoon it. spider, I'm fine. It, that's the thing, is okay. that if, it, if it's not a real spider, like if it's a computer generated or it's a cartoon spider or something like that, I'm fine with it. The moment it's a real fucking thing, I'm out. I'm just... <laughs> tapped out if you made the shirt you got to put a photorealistic spider on the back like it's on your back no and then you won't have to see it but other people can see no, it because what if out. it comes trevor what if it comes alive trevor, I mean, we're just... gonna commission we're gonna commission you to make like a found footage spider thing for the Fuck shirt it. no no <laughs> no well now you put it in my head so i'm just gonna do it anyway jesus I'm christ sorry, terry i'm sorry podcast <laughs> over <laughs> Both the episode Spider and Monster, the entire eh? podcast. <laughs> Sorry, okay. this is the last episode. <laughs> hey, we've had a good run. We've had a good run. <laughs> uh, okay.
Okay, transitioning away from the spiders, though. What? <laughs> yeah. You okay? When you brought up Jill, the the little the poor little girl that's stepping away oh. from the frothy blood, I yes. was just thinking about how fucked up this movie is for her because her father is <laughs> Joe. Joe gets his eyes plucked out. He goes yep. to the morgue. She goes there with her mom. Her mom says, "Hey, wait out here. I'm gonna go." dress your dad which I, I don't know if that's exactly how morgues operate in the united no. states but I, I we're just gonna go with it that she's allowing that they're allowing her to dress him up in a suit she yeah. dies the poor kid comes in sees her mom's head dissolving sees her dad's head like just fucked up and and like blinded yeah and then we go to the funeral where everyone is just like, oh, poor Jill, give you hugs. And then they leave her alone and they're like, we're sorry for your loss. Bye. Like, <laughs> that's how that it, scene plays out. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, what is she going to do now? She's a little orphan and no one is there with her anymore. It's worse than that even because she sees her mom's head melted and then she tries to hide in a freezer. And then some zombies bust out. Oh, yes. And then so I think I she's she, possessed. I thought she was. Oh, I think yeah, so. I, I don't know. Like, I thought she was dead because I was like, oh, the zombie got her. Like, she's dead. She's but either dead was... from that point on or she's possessed because she has the, the spooky uh, contacts in. Well, then on. she gets her head fucking blown off at the very end of the movie. <laughs> she makes her. Uh... He just blows her head off. Like, I was like, I rewound it. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I did the same yeah. thing. I was like, did I miss something? No. You did not. No. <laughs> she makes her, her gambit as a zombie to try and take him out. And he just, like, fully puts a. Uh, fist size hole through her skull <laughs> and it just absolutely fucking explodes it rules he shows it like a couple times i think in, in a row I he think. does yeah i think it was like the flashes of like one angle another angle another angle of just a child's head absolutely exploding like a watermelon well and that's oh, what yes. i was like fulci is, is not here to fuck around he's like i'm gonna kill this kid like you yep. don't see that in <laughs> horror movies i can think of two american horror movies that have ever killed a kid ever um it's not something that's done, really. No. And I love it. That's what I love about it, this this film. Yeah. It's definitely happening more, I feel like, too. I feel like people are now realizing, like, oh, I can kill kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please, no one isolate that. No one isolate that. <laughs> in the 80s, I think it was, like, the Blob remake had a kid get melted. And then in the 90s, like, a kid died in Mimic. And then, but nowadays, like, you see a I, we, I just watched Attack the Block again recently. Oh, and some, oh so some good. kids get fucked up in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's great. Hi, spe speaking of high tension, like the, just that little kid just gets oh, yeah. the little kid with a shotgun. Oh shit! Yeah, you're right. I forgot about in that the cornfield. That's right. At least that has like the discretion of them saying like it's kind of off screen. We'll just show the body kind of afterwards. We'll see a flash of the gunshot or whatever. Not, not, not falshy, which is like him just zooming in at maximum close up to the, the wound blowing into the child's face. <laughs> well, and, and up until that point, it's like she's tortured. She's probably the most tortured person in this entire in this entire movie. And that's and totally. that's her her send off is having her face blown off. <laughs> and not even like a moment of like, oh, Jill. It's like they, they just run by her to go shoot some more zombies or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was, yeah. I was like, wait, did that just happen? Because they literally just like, he throws the gun down because they think he's out of bullets and they leave the room. I was like, okay, yeah. that oh. gun, that gun, how many fucking bullets did he have because first of all he's just shooting him off willy-nilly and i'm like okay you have a six shooter and then he's out of bullets and he's like click 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 and then the next scene he has bullets again and now it seems yeah. like he has like over 20 because he's just pow 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 and i'm like why how 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 is this 
how is this the thing? best thing about that? Well, the first best thing about the last half of that movie is that there weren't supposed to be any zombies at all. They just uh, the studio was like, oh, your movie zombie did really well. Make sure a ton of zombies show. <laughs> so all, all of that is just him riffing on that. The second funniest thing is that he keeps firing at, a, at the zombie's um, chest and then he'll shoot it in the head and it'll die. And then he does that over and over like seven times. He's so dumb. <laughs> he's so well, okay. dumb. And he's the, I want to the, my favorite moment of this movie as an, as the extension is when they walked. Oh, so they're in the, they're in the hospital running away from the zombies. They go through a door and they're suddenly in the basement of the yeah. hotel. That rules. Anything that plays and, with liminal space, like time and space, it's just like oh, the best. Oh, it's so, and like that's so cosmic horror too, of just like playing with that time and space thing. And it's like, it's not, it's all of a sudden you're in a different place. It's not some like crazy like transition. You just walk through a door and then all of a sudden you're yep. somewhere yeah, else. That's amazing. And then that transitions right into the ending where they like literally end up in the painting, in the painting or in hell or both. <laughs> but my favorite is when they go into the basement and then he just looks around and goes impossible over and over again. I'm like, this is impossible. Yeah. You have been fighting zombies for like 15 minutes <laughs> and this is impossible. I just, that would crack me up like between the gun yeah. and that I was like, this, this man, this everybody man. has a limit, I guess, but that's yeah, impossible. But his, his unlimited <laughs> six shooter is not impossible. The, I was going to say the best thing with that gun though, is that if you go back and watch, there's like a part where they, he shoots a bunch of zombies or whatever. And then he goes in the elevator with Katrina and Nicole, the, uh, the actress. And the, as the elevator doors are closing, you can see he starts to load the gun by putting the bullets down the barrel of the revolver. <laughs> as a joke, as a joke, I think, because he's laughing and you can see the actress with him, like, looks at it and just kind of rolls her eyes and laughs at him because he's goofing around by putting the bullets down <laughs> the barrel of the gun. Oh, it's the, it's the best. I totally missed that. Wow. It's really, really, really quick. I've just seen the movie a lot. So the things that um, I, I really do like about this film we kind of talked a little bit about this, the surreal nature of the film, but also the use of empty spaces. Mm-hmm. There's like the scene where, where Liza is driving down an empty causeway, which I think is such a, a beautiful yet creepy shot where she's oh, driving yeah. down it. And then she sees like some shadow in the distance and she pulls up and it, of course it's the blind Emily and her, and her guide dog, but it's that, that whole, there's no one else in this causeway. It's just her mm-hmm. and Emily. And it's, it's so creepy and otherworldly. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of like little choices throughout of um, just like uses of slow motion and uses of like big empty spaces like that that are so well done and just really lend itself well to this like uh, the dreamlike atmosphere that he's going for in the film. I used to not like it so much for that, but because um, it's like, oh, it doesn't make sense. It was a stupid teenager, but I really appreciate <laughs> that that stuff a little bit more. Well, and. Terry, I'm glad you brought up the causeway scene because I think that contributes to this, the setting being in New Orleans, Louisiana, and how mm-hmm. New Orleans has this otherworldly quality to it. Like, mm-hmm. have either of you ever been to New Orleans? No, yes. I'd love to. I have. I've not. Okay. So, Terry, you know, it's it's an, it's an amazing place and it's spooky and it's energetic and it's, it's it feels like another world like when i went i was mm-hmm. like i have been transported into another place and i love it mm-hmm. but it does have this like especially in this <clears throat> in this movie it's like kind of got that like old house in the bayou trope and when she's driving down that causeway it feels like that the kind of like seclusion in the middle of like a swamp type area where there's no one around mm-hmm. and there's nothing to kind of protect you 
And I really like I really love movies that take place like in the south in swamps. So it mm. really just added that like, that layer of creepiness and like I don't know. I just it really oh, is totally. effective for me. Yeah, I totally get that. Going with that, Emily's house where, you know, we we see it and it's lush and opulent and she's in there playing a piano for Liza for, for some bizarre reason. <laughs> um yeah. but then like Later, the doctor goes to the house and we see the actual house and it's dilapidated and it's empty and the the, pr- the brush up to it is overgrown and everything's covered in cobwebs. And it's it's that kind of it kind of adds to that otherworldly quality of what are we seeing and what's actually really happening that I mm-hmm. think is 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 such an interesting um, dynamic in this film. Yeah, I always thought of it as like as soon as they open this hotel, everything starts collapsing down on itself, like all mm. the rules of time and space are just yeah. kind of falling inwards into this, like, uh, one point at, at the base of this hotel, uh, just, like, spreading unreali- unreality, uh, which I've always really liked about that movie. Gates of Hell has a similar quality, less so with uh, Husband of the Cemetery, but, but those two especially. I like that phrase, spreading of unreality. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's really good for that. I think he's a little underappreciated in that area um, where he, you know, he's known for his gore because... You know, his movies are gory as hell and he puts a real focus on that. He like literally, you know, spends half the runtime uh, on the gore. But he has this atmosphere as well that I think it's neglected a little bit. Uh, that's really ma- masterful. Yeah. You know, you're talking about that. I'm thinking back to the to the beginning with the, the sepia tone where the, the first shot that we're kind of getting is these boats slowly moving through the bayou and they're mm-hmm. just the people in it are silent. It's dead quiet. All you see are these, this group of men holding torches and they are moving towards the hotel. And then later on, there's a car that pulls up and and unloads another group of men. And they're all, no one's talking. They all just have torches and they have this mission. It's that it's, it's very dread filled. And there are moments in this film that I, I think he kind of, I, I, I think you're right. I don't think he gets kind of credit for, the sort of masterful way he can build, he can build dread or a feeling mm-hmm. throughout the entire film. Totally. Absolutely. And this film is very fatalistic in a way, I, you know, cause oh, the, absolutely. Oh God, the way yeah. the, yeah. the way oh, the, yeah. the movie opens and there's the painting. And then, you know, we have Emily who's just, she comes back and then she's killed again and brought back to hell. And I loved uh, Liza and John's escape from the house and they're ultimately transported back there and they're forced into hell. Like this is a foregone conclusion at this point. And yeah. it's all basically the painting that, that Schwark, 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 Schwark. The, the, the painting that he created back in 1927. Like it's, it's yeah. there and that's where we're beginning and that is where we're ending. And it has that, that sort of circular fatalistic feel to it absolutely and then there's the question of whether we ever left the painting at all right oh <laughs> yeah um, i mean that's prime this you may- know cosmic horror it's just like they're yeah. doomed from the outset as soon as they open the, as they as soon as they set set foot on the property a very yeah like you said fatalistic cosmic horror kind of vibe yeah this movie fucking rules it's it really, really good right um <laughs> it's so good and it's not even my favorite of his like top four, four movies. it's just really really good though. what would you say are your top favorite of his i'm curious because i'm mm-hmm. i'm not as well versed in fulci i've i've seen mm-hmm. this i've seen the 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 city of the living dead or i don't know mm-hmm. the gates yeah. of hell i've seen i like it's a hell better but the city of the living dead is the uh yeah uh, yeah title i've seen uh zombie mm-hmm. and i've seen uh don't torture a duckling and i believe that might be it for me 
So what are your favorites? My favorite is definitely uh, definitely Gates of Hell, mm-hmm. but Zombies really close behind. Zombies a classic. Oh, it's so good. I torture. Oh yeah, it's one of the first ones I've seen. Uh, a zombie fights a shark. A zombie I fights a shark. Say, yeah. Is that the zombie fighting a shark movie? I have. It is the zombie that. fighting I just a shark know that movie. GIF. Fuck yeah. Yeah, See the Living Dead zombie, the Beyond obviously, and House by the Cemetery are kind of like his big four uh, horror movies. And I actually haven't spread that far throughout. I have a friend who. <laughs> I have a friend on film Twitter uh, and, re- and, you know, on Discord who becomes uh, kind of um, he'll watch one movie and then he has to watch everything that director has ever done. <laughs> and mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. he he watched a Fulci movie. So he did a full Fulci watch, which is that guy has made like a hundred and some movies. And a lot of them Holy are. Ex- yeah, a lot of them are extremely terrible comedies. So he just had to like kind of grit his teeth and watch like 30 different Fulci comedies that are just absolute dog shit but he <laughs> he's he's been very helpful for recommending ones that are actually worth watching i like like i said the, the more traditionally like horror uh those four like his big horror movies but he also has a bunch of good giallos um uh don't torture duck duck is really good. oh it's really good uh, different a different vibe completely but uh but really good um and i cannot recommend in good conscience new york ripper just because of how mean spirited and vile it is but i mean if that's your thing Go to town because that's a mean, that's a a very mean spirited slasher. Movie. Well, you say mean spirited slasher, and I'm like on my watch list. We'll be watching <laughs> soon. <laughs> you have been properly warned. Uh, I, I take no I, responsibility. You will need a shower. It's that. It's very bad. Wow. Yeah, Sweet. it's like <laughs> m- maniac level grime. New York City oh, kind of vibes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's like grime. Ooh, okay. Cool. It's a grimy New York like. Mm. slasher giallo but then Fuck we also yeah. have like him doing devil's honey where um i i believe <laughs> that it opens up with a man playing a saxophone into a woman's crotch that is correct <laughs> that is correct and uh that's what happens yep it's about right uh yeah <laughs> Terry has said this before, but I forgot. And now just the the image of a man playing a saxophone into a woman's vagina is the funniest mm-hmm. thing I've ever heard. Not only is it the key scene of the film. I haven't seen the film. I, that's all I know about it is that this happens. But it is lo- lovingly painted for the poster. Y- yeah, it it really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also has he, he was he was a real kind of jack of all trades. Um, he kind of has done every genre. He's got some really mean spirited Westerners that I've heard are really good. There's one called Four of the Apocalypse. But for uh, my favorites, it's totally um, uh, City Living Dead and Zombie and the Beyond. And also has for the Cemetery. Yeah, I need I need to finish the this Gates of Hill trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So before before we wrap up, though, I I do feel like we need to talk about the score. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Oh my god! Yes, Fabio talk about the score. Freezy's best score, in my opinion. You're I correct. love this this <laughs> score so much. When I was looking into it, I saw that Rolling Stone in 2016 ranked it as the 11th best horror film score of all time. Oh mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, I love this score so much. It was the first uh, vinyl I ever bought. Was the score? Oh really? Of this film. Oh no shit! Yeah. Yeah, Mondo released it in like this really beautiful, like pink and purple fluorescent, like swirl oh. kind of thing that was a variant. And I had a friend uh, buy a couple, and then I like paid him a little extra because he got one of the variants, and I still have it. And it's one of my prized like mm. uh, vinyl records. It's amazing. It's an amazing score. 
it's really so, lovely. And it's so interesting because at the beginning I was like, this almost feels like a Western with this mm-hmm. interesting chanting and with the sepia tone. I said, oh, this is a phenomenal, really strange tone that we're starting off with at the beginning. Yeah, and it's, totally. It's really, and again, it kind of, that is, it's jarring in the way that just like the rest of the film, it feels like almost out of time and space with the way it's like, you don't know what genre of like music we're going for. And it's just mm-hmm. disorient. It's disorienting in the best way. And then, like, there's some reprises of the main theme with that chant that are kind of like very melancholy yeah. um, mm-hmm. towards the end, and some scenes with um, uh, the blind girl whose name Emily. Emily, thank you. Yes, uh, that I almost like more than the main theme, but it, it's just really, it's just a beautiful record, just a beautiful soundtrack. What's weird though is that when they released it in the U.S. under the title Seven Doors of Death," they recut the film to a score <gasps> by Walter Sear. That's really- uh, yeah. They recut it. They took out every bit of gore and they credited the director as Lewis Fuller. Lewis Fuller. Yep. They, <laughs> I mean, there was this there was a whole like range, especially in like the 80s, where Italian directors, they wanted them to sound more American. So they just basically gave them all American yeah. sounding names. And they have like a, the cover for it was like this weird riff on like the Tales from the Crypt, like DC Comics covers. Oh, uh, wow. Can which you is imagine just a, totally not sold fitting. that. Yeah, can you imagine getting sold that and then watching this movie and being like, what the absolute fuck? Yeah, the the greatest example of that I can think of is when, I don't know if you guys have seen it, there's a French film called Eyes Without a Face. It's this very, like, lyrical, quiet, melancholy, black mm-hmm. and white film about a kind of this mad doctor trying to, he kidnaps women to kind of uh, steal their faces to try and repair his daughter's face. It was hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was released to the drive ins of America as the torture chamber of Dr. Faustus, I think. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which is just not the title. It's something Hmm. like that, like the torture chamber of Dr. Sadism or something ridiculous. The horror chamber of Dr. Faustus. I just saw it on. Almost nailed it. Almost nailed it. That's the one. 1962 Uh, as a double feature with The Manster. I've never heard of that. The Manster rules, actually. The Master oh. is one of the most ridiculous titles ever, but it's it's really good too. So, do we want to wrap this up and give the Beyond a score out of five? That sounds good to me. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could oh. talk about movies forever. Uh, I so, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Terry, how many gates to hell out of five do you give the Beyond? Oh, well, you know, outside of the horrendous spider scene, uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> I could watch this movie over and over and over again. And I realized that on this watch, I was, I, I had to pause it cause um, I went to do something else. And so I, I, I watched like the first 40 minutes and I was like, wow, I'm already 40 minutes into this. And it surprised me because like, it just, it felt like I, I had just literally started this movie, I think is paced incredibly well. It's paced yes. a lot better than a lot of um, Italian horror films that we, that you and I have mm-hmm. seen over the mm-hmm. last like couple months, uh, Mary Beth. I, yes. I think the pacing is phenomenal. I think the gore is top notch. I, I love the, the nightmarish feel to it. I love sort of the things that he's exploring in it. I, I think this movie is fantastic. I probably would give it uh, four and a half, maybe gates to hell. I think out yes. of five. What about yeah. you, Mary Beth? I agree with that. I four and a half gates of hell out of five for me. So it's like four and a half regular gates and then half a gate for like a child or a dog or something. A poor chill. Uh, poor one chill. of the gates is just a jar a little bit. The, the pieces of, of Jill's head you could fit. Oh, God. Ew. But I 100% agree with what you said about the pacing. You know, 
everything you said about, you know, we've had some, you know, one of our biggest complaints in watching Giallo and other Italian horror is that it drags in the middle. But mm-hmm. when I looked up and checked how much time was left, I had 10 minutes left. And I said, this movie is amazing. Like it's goes by really quickly. It's really engaging. And again, I'm new to Fulci. So I, I don't torture a duckling was the first one I saw of his and it's, it's got some like very minimal gore moments when this woman is getting whipped with chains, which is pretty yeah. graphic. Yeah, That's pretty graphic, but this was my first like full on gory Fulci movie. And I loved every minute of it. He is so talented in making you uncomfortable and grossing <laughs> you out, but also crafting a fantastic cosmic horror film. Like I never would have thought this was a, a cosmic horror film, but I, now I love it even more because after discussing it, it really is like <clears> that <throat> really kind of like eldritch horror. Mm-hmm. So oh, totally. four and a half out of five for me. All right, Trevor, you have the final word. How many gates of hell? I also would give it four. I think you nailed it. Woo! I don't, I don't think anything uh, gets five completely uh gates of hell uh so i would definitely say four and a half i think it's a classic i think that um it's essential viewing especially if you're looking into italian cinema you're looking into surrealist cinema um Mm -hmm. or just want to see some like really wild gore uh it it has that for you um it's not even my favorite fulci which is saying something um just how talented he was in his prime i i cannot recommend it enough Pair it with um, uh, City of the Living Dead for that prime, like dreamy cosmic horror vibes, uh, peppered with just unbelievably disgusting gore, and you have a Hell whole yeah. e- evening ahead of you. It's great. Oh my gosh! We need to do <laughs> that. That excites me that you said it's not even your favorite, and I'm like, oh, I cannot no. wait to watch more because if that's, oh, because I love the have, Beyond, so I can only imagine that I'll love the other ones even more. Have you seen Zombie yet? I have not seen Zombie. Oh I've my only god! Seen two. It's so and good. I, it's so good. I know. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Batman City Living Dead. Oh, God. So good. Well, for a long time, for a long time, sorry, this is a tangent before we leave. For a long time, I wasn't a big gore person. So the poster made me sick, made me feel sick. Totally fair. Um, And then now I'm into gore and I just never watched it. So (laughs) it was like in my head, I was like, "Mm, I don't really want to watch something with like that person's head full of maggots, like falling apart. Yeah, that's totally fair. Speaking of which, again, I probably should have brought this up earlier, but Watching this movie while eating chicka, chicken tikka masala was a bad choice, <laughs> which is what I did yeah. last night. I was like, uh-huh. I have like, I have like a little bit of time before I have to do something else. I'm going to eat and I'm going to watch this movie because I need, I need to get it, get it washed. I was like, oh, <laughs> no, amazing. This chicken is looking like what is coming out of his face. <laughs> I'm glad you soldiered on uh, through your meal, uh, despite it being yeah. so disgusting. I definitely had to like pause the movie for a minute and finish up quickly <laughs> that's totally fair honestly uh yeah i mean i can handle some gore uh falchi gore is that kind of gore where i can see the prosthetics and I can, like the, yeah. the blood is that bright paint blood that i love so much from like the 70s and 80s um but you know w- when you get into the more realistic stuff it just does nothing I can't, it doesn't even touch me. I just don't have any interest. Well, a lot really. of times I find myself thinking, how did he do that more so than like, or like, oh, that's kind of yeah. gross, but how did, how did, how did he do that? <laughs> yeah. You appreciate the craft more when you can kind of see that it's fake, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trevor, for joining us to talk about uh, the beyond. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share or you'd like to share? Uh, thank you for having me on first of all. This is really, really fun. Um, I am on Twitter far too much at Slimy Swamp Post. <laughs> um, if you want to see my art without all the bullshit, 
that I post. You can follow me at Trevor Henderson on Instagram. All obviously. Other than that, what do I have? I have some projects I cannot talk about. I would really desperately like to talk about them, but I cannot. But other than that, I'm just kind of trucking along. I love um, doing cover illustration work for comics, um, especially horror novels. Um, your RPG, if you're putting an RPG together, want to do some artwork, design a monster, just hit me up. Um, yeah, my email address. That. Yeah, TrevorHenderson86 at gmail.com or just hit me up on, on Twitter or Instagram. Or cool and we'll put all that information in the description of the podcast for everybody so you can check them out amazing um, so so listeners <laughs> you've heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with the beyond uh, what's your favorite fulci movie i uh, we want to know mm-hmm. so send us an send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And if you were this car that's idling outside my house, I want to shoot you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you're not, please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. <laughs>